Join me and give Jesus some praise this morning. Come on. I hope he's been good to you. By the way, I would never cut Sarah's mic off. I might cut somebody else's mic off, but never Sarah's. So uh, thank you so much for being here. What a cool vibe this morning, huh, with the coffee shop and uh, starting this week. We've had such an incredible week. The stories that we've heard about uh, the opening of Milk and Honey uh, brings me to the welcome welcome to the Refuge Church. My name is Adam Harold, and my beautiful wife Tanya and I have the privilege of leading this community called the Refuge. We do it together. We are a team. And if you fill out the card in front in front of you um, this morning, please be sure to mark how you heard about the Refuge Church. And if you heard about the Refuge Church, uh, please uh, through Milk and Honey, please make sure you write Milk and Honey. On that, uh, because we like ROI. You know what ROI stands for? Return on investment. And so we want to see the results of the investment of starting a coffee shop in our church. And um, we we believe that it's it's what God wanted us to do. You know, um, when you start a church, you have no idea really what God's going to do. Um, I had no idea that we would end up starting a coffee shop in our church when we said yes to, uh, to planting. And um, one day we signed a lease at an old bar that happened to have an old bar in it. And we thought, what a better, better thing to do than to start a coffee shop. And um, God put it on our hearts. And here's what I've learned since starting our church in 2017. I've learned if I say yes, God does the rest, right? Anytime I say yes, God will always show up and do the rest. And so that ROI is a result of the rest of what God is doing. It shows us what God is doing. So please fill that card out. And now, by the way, I love this. If you fill out that card, we've got a gift for you. And that gift is guess what? free latte, a free latte. So, um, so it all works together. Uh, we don't have to buy mugs or t-shirts or anything. Like we're just giving away what we already have, right? So it's kind of what, what we do. And so this morning I'm really excited because of what God has done in uh, the, the coffee shop, but I'm also excited to start a new series that I'm calling The Cost of Good. The Cost of Good. It's a study on this man in scripture known as the rich young ruler, he doesn't have a name, and we'll talk about why that is in just a moment, but the rich young ruler is found in three of the four gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, specifically Matthew chapter 19, which is where we're going to be at this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 19. You can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. I think our screens will show you how you can find it in the YouVersion app. Um, but Matthew 19 is where we're at this morning. However, it's also found in Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 18. We'll probably look at those at some point. It's a four-week series um, leading up to October the 15th, which is the launch of our three services on, on October 15th. So um, if you come to church at 9 a.m., you'll either be late because you, because you uh, meant to come to the 8 a.m. Wait, hold on. 
Let me, let me rewind, start it back. All right, all right. Um, I'm blaming the, all the coffee I've had since the coffee, the coffee shop opened. So if you come at 9, you'll be late for the 8 and early for the 9.30, okay? So, so don't come at 9. Come at, come at 8 o'clock, 9.30, or 11. So if you're, listen, this is the 11 o'clock service. You can just keep coming to the 11 o'clock service, all right, if you want to. That's so easy. Um, but uh, three weeks from now, we'll be going to three services, and we'll start, we'll shift into a different series at that time. That I'm really pumped about because I feel like it's time that I talk about my favorite Bible story and all the scripture. Coming up in three weeks from now, you'll have to come and find out what that is if you don't know what it is. Some of you guys are sitting there going, I know what it is. If you've been coming here long enough, if you're part of our team, if you're part of our church, then you should know what that is. But it's going to be a six-week series on my favorite Bible story, and I can't wait to get into that. But today, Matthew chapter 19, let's pray and ask the Father to join our conversation before we get into it. Father, we love you. But Lord, as we look at your love for us, we're remi- or as our love for you, we're reminded of your love for us. God... Your word teaches us that we love you because you loved us first. God, I can't get enough of your love for me that loves me perfectly. Just the way that I am, refusing to leave me just the way that I am, molding me and shaping me and making me into the man that you want me to be. Father, I pray that as I look into your word today, God, that you would show me who you want me to become and that I would be bold and courageous enough to become who you want me to become. Not who this world wants me to be. Not who anyone else wants me to be other than you. Father, I ask that you would speak directly to my heart today through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew 19, verse 16 says, Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked, and Jesus replied. You must not murder I love how Jesus starts with a duh, like, you want to have eternal life, just don't kill anybody, right? He starts with the, with the one that we all know. Don't murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect... Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is, a, it is very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then, who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus 
looked at them intently, and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Verse 27, then Peter said to him, it's always Peter, right? Always Peter. We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, who have been my followers, you who have been my followers, will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You ever wonder why there's 12, 12 disciples? Because there's 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 29, then everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property or for, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and you will inherit life, eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Over the next four weeks, we'll be looking through this entire series, but I thought it was this whole scripture, and I thought it was important to read the entire scripture this morning so that we have context for our whole series, and then over the next four weeks, we'll be breaking down bits and pieces of it. But this morning, I want to start by looking at taking a strong look at the whole reason this story is in scripture. The reason the story is in scripture is because the question is asked. I want to take a look at the question that this man asked in verse 16. You can read it with me. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I think it's important to pay attention to the words of the question because so many interpretations, I believe, actually get this question wrongly interpreted. Many, many translations use the phrase, what must I do to have eternal life? Not what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This question is more specific than just what must I do to have eternal life? It's what specifically, what deed must I do to have eternal life? What good deed? So many people, I think, um, if asked uh, why they should get to heaven, would say, well, I think I'm, I'm a pretty good person. In fact, I have this theory that if I were to go down to the old port with a, with a, a camera or, and, a, and a microphone and I were to say, tell me, if you were to die today, Christian's favorite question, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? My theory, based on, I don't know, say 25 years of ministry, would, would say that I believe that most people would answer that question by saying, well, yeah, I think I'll go to heaven. Well, then the, the follow-up question is, of course, what? Why? Why? Why will you go to heaven? And even if the question's, if the answer is no, I think the follow-up question is still why. Why do you think you won't go to heaven? But I think most people would say, yes, I'd go to heaven. And I think the question after that is, why do you think you'll go to heaven? And I think most people would say, well, I think I'm 
a pretty good person. And so then the next question is, if all you have to do to, is to get to heaven is to be a good person, the question is, how good do you have to be to be a good person to get to heaven? And that's how we've come up with the question or with the, the title of this whole series, The Cost of Good. In other words, the cost of good enough to get to heaven. Because I believe that Jesus answers that question in this scripture. And the answer to the question I want you to know is simple. It's a simple answer. But can I give you a little bit of a warning this morning? The warning is this. Most people, even though the answer is simple, most people aren't willing to do what the answer is. Most people don't like the answer to the question that this man asked. How do I know that? Because this man didn't like the answer to the question he asked. And he turned and he walks away. So we're going to look at this whole story through the next four weeks. But here's the thing that I want you to know. The reason why most people ask this question is because God has placed eternity in all of our hearts. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God has put it in the human heart that there's more to life than this life that we have right now. We all know there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing now. There's got to be. One of my favorite interviews with Tom Brady is a 60 Minutes video, 60 Minutes uh, interview where he's already, at this point, he's, he had already won, I don't know, about three championships. And he's married to a supermodel wife, and all the women want him, and all the guys want to be him, right? And he sits there, and he says in this interview, there's got to be more to life than this. You know why he says that? Because God has placed eternity in Tom Brady's heart, just like he's placed it in your heart, in your heart, in your heart. We all know there's got to be more to life than this. And so I believe this question of what must I do to enter eternal life is planted in every single one of you. And maybe that's why you're here today. You just want to know, how do I live forever? And maybe, just maybe, that's the thing that God uses to draw you to him. But let me tell you, the answer to this question is so much more than just about eternal life. The answer to this question is abundant life. That is some good ROI. That is some good return on investment. But again, oftentimes we don't like the initial investment that gets us abundant life. And so all of this brings me to this one big idea for today. 
If I had one thing I want to communicate to everyone in this room today, it is this one thing. The questions we ask God often reveal what is in our hearts about God. The questions we ask God often reveal what's in our hearts about him. That's why it's so important for us to take a look at the question this morning. So what is the question? Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And with that question, Jesus goes to work. He does a little heart surgery because Jesus goes right after the man's heart, just like he has gone after your heart the moment you step foot in this building. Because that's all he cares about. That's all he cares about. Your heart. That's why God sent his son Jesus into the world to die for your sins, was for your heart. That's what he wants. In the first service, I got super choked up. And I, I couldn't help but to think, you know, I think the reason I often get so emotional in talking about God is because he just wants my heart. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel so special. So important. I might be unworthy of it, but he still desires it. All the rottenness, all the mistakes, everything I've ever done, he still wants me. Oftentimes, I don't even want my own heart. And yet he still wants it. He still loves me. And he wants the rich young ruler's heart the same way that he wants yours. And to answer his question, Jesus goes right for the heart. I think in order to understand the question, you have to understand who's asking the question. So we have to take a quick look at this rich young ruler whose name we do not know. Remember, oftentimes in Scripture, I believe that if the person's name is not listed, it is for the purpose of you being able to insert your name in that story. The Good Samaritan, you can put your name in the story. The woman at the well, you can put your name in the story. The woman with the issue of blood that needed healing, you can put your name in that story. There are so many people who go nameless in the Scriptures so that we can often put our names in that story. The rich young ruler is one of those. So this morning, I want you to know that I am the rich young ruler. You are the rich young ruler. So who is this man? Well, we know that he's a man of influence. Not because of his money. Many scholars believe that he was probably a prince or a magistrate of some, some sort. But we also know that he is Jewish. 
And the reason we know that he is Jewish, one of God's chosen people, the people of Israel, is because he addresses Jesus as teacher. Scripture is clear that many Romans, and culture is clear, that many Roman citizens and Roman soldiers would never address Jesus as teacher or master or rabbi. They wouldn't address him as that because they were a Roman. A Jew would. So it tells us that he's probably Jewish. So he's a rich man, wealthy, with influence that is Jewish. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that he's wealthy and has influence. Again, I am the rich young ruler. As an American citizen, I am wealthy and I have influence. We are the rich young ruler. Number two, the second thing I want you to see is how he addresses Jesus. I've already mentioned it. He calls him teacher. Some translations use the phrase good teacher. Let me say this. How we address God is how we view God. The names you use to address God is how you see him. The way you use his name reveals your deepest thoughts and deepest feelings about him. So let me ask you the question, how do you use his name? Do you use it to worship it on Sunday morning, but by Sunday evening you've already said it five times as a swear word? Do you use it to worship it on Sundays, but then only worship it on Sundays when you need something from him? Do you only use it when you're around certain friends? Uh Oh. When you want to fit in with a certain crowd? You start to ask questions about who he is, or you start to think about who he really is only at certain times? How you use his name reveals your deepest thoughts about him. The third commandment out of the ten is thou shalt not use the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know why it's a commandment? Because the first commandment is thou shalt have no other gods before me. He's already said you should make me best, make me first in your life. So don't talk bad about me. He's already established the why when he gets to number three with number one. And when you use his name, listen, this is why we teach our kids, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. This is why we teach our kids to address people in a respectful way. Why? Not about the name, about the respect. The way you address people reveal your heart towards them. Am I preaching this morning? Don't get mad at me. This is God's word. This is what it shows us. 
And notice how he addresses the man, Jesus. This is, notice how he addresses Jesus. He calls him teacher. He doesn't call him Messiah. He doesn't call him Lord. He doesn't even call him the son of God. He calls him teacher. And Jesus in that moment with his address of him knew his heart. The same is the truth with you. You can come into church and you can worship him all you want to. He knows your heart. You can't run from it. And then he goes to work. Let me show you the, the concept in scripture of not being able to worship him and then swear in his, using his name as a swear, why that doesn't work. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says this, no one can serve two masters. You can't, you can't serve two different Jesuses. You can't fool him. You can't serve two masters, for one will hate one and love the other, and the other and will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now listen, in Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about money. Guess what? In Matthew chapter 19, he talks about money. We're going to talk about money. This is your warning that in this series we will address money. But you don't know which week. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Because you can't give Jesus everything and not give him your pocketbook. Jesus is talking about money in Matthew 6, but he's still talking about money in Matthew 19 because the rich man comes to him and he says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Which brings me to number three. So the first thing I wanted you to see about the rich young ruler is he's wealthy and has influence. The second thing is that he addresses Jesus as good teacher. And the way we address God is how we really feel about him. Number three, the third thing I want you to see about him is the rich young ruler asked the most basic question. It's, it's shallow. It's the most basic of all questions. What must I do to have eternal life? Well, everyone ha knows that there's eternal life. Because God's planted eternity in your heart. So this is a basic question. The question is about eternal life. He wants to know the requirements. What must I do? You know why I think he wants to know the, the requirements? So he can tiptoe around them and just barely get in. Isn't that human nature? to just want to know what's good enough so that I can, I can get in by the skin. It might be by the skin of my teeth, but by golly, I got in. He asked the most basic question. And what this tells me as followers of Jesus that find our identity in him, we always should crave more. We should always want to go deeper than this. It's not about eternal life. It's about identity in Jesus. It's about being like him. It's about more. There's so much more than just getting into heaven with this relationship with Jesus. If you only follow Jesus, if you're only here on Sunday morning just because you think it's going to get you to heaven, I want you to know you're wrong. But God, I did this and I did th That's exactly what he's saying. 
The rich young ruler, he goes on. I'm getting ahead of myself in this series, but we'll go there right now because this is where the Spirit's leading me. He's saying, God, I've done, I've done these things. I should be good, right? And he's, Jesus says, well, there's one more thing to be perfect. Give up everything. And with that, the rich young ruler walks away. And the Bible says because he was rich. We are rich. And it costs us everything to follow him. You know why? Because it costs him everything to capture your heart. The questions you ask God reveal how you feel about God. Some of you walked into this room having a lot of questions. Maybe you came here hoping to have your questions answered. Guess what? You probably won't like the answer. You know how I know you won't like the answer? Because the rich young ruler didn't like the answer. Probably not going to like the answer. But the questions you ask about him reveal how you feel about him. The problem is we like to ask the wrong question. I think this guy is asking the wrong question. He's only asking about eternal life. He just wants to know what's good enough. But let me show you the answer that I believe that God wants us to think of when we often ask, what is good enough? What is it right or wrong for me to do this? So oftentimes I get asked the question, Pastor Adam, is it wrong for me to do this? Is it a sin for me to do this? You want to know the answer to is it a sin? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It's my, one of my favorite scriptures. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 is one of my favorite passages. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The question isn't, is it right or wrong? The question is, does it help me run the race that God has for me? You want to know if it's right or wrong to smoke? Well, does it help you run? You want to know, is it right or wrong for you to drink? Does it help you run? You want to know, you want to know if something is right or wrong? I'm not going to say anything else because who knows where I'm going to go after that. Does it help you run the race that God has set before you or does it trip you up? Not is it a sin or not. If the questions we ask reveal what's in our hearts and we continue to ask the most basic questions, what does that tell us about our hearts when it comes to God? Do you desire to grow in him or do you just want to stay good enough? So let me ask a question. If two friends... Are, are friends, and, and all of a sudden, one friend stops calling the other friend. What happens to that friendship? 
They just quit calling. I, I think it's called ghosting them, right? They just ghost you. I, I think that friendship probably ends, doesn't it? If a romantic relationship, someone loses interest and stops returning text messages, stops returning phone calls, stops inviting the person out on a date, that relationship ends, doesn't it? I want you to know with God, the phone calls never stop. The invitations never stop. The desire to have your heart is always there. You cannot stop it. There's nothing you can do to stop God's pursuit of you. That's all he's ever done. John chapter 3, verse 16, tells us that he pursued us with his love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to pursue my heart. That none should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance to pursue me. He desires me. I'm just in awe that he would want me because I know me. And he still wants me. But anything short of everything wouldn't be enough for me to give back to him. You know why? Because he gave me everything. In this story, the cost of good, let me, let me, spoiler alert, it's everything. All of me. Nothing less, nothing more. Now, here's the beauty. The beauty is we all get up and we'll go in just about five or ten minutes from now, hopefully closer to five, right? And some of you can hear this message about giving God everything, and you can say, no, you know what? The cost is too great just like the rich young ruler, and you can get up and you can walk out and God will continue to pursue you. And you might come back next week and you'll hear the same thing because every week, guess what? It costs us everything. You'll go around, you'll come back. Some of you just keep, go, keep doing this. Can I just ask real quick? I, don't, I didn't say this in the first service, but can I just ask, how long is it gonna take for you to finally surrender? How long is it going to take for you to realize, all right, God, I give up. I've played this game enough. 